This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anybody eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statue forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For those seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anybody eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Man, nobody claps for me. Evan, was it you that, uh, oh, yeah, you're clapping before I start. Evan, was it you that uh, told me one time that you'd like to get up and preach? It was your brother, and then one of y'all said that. So it was not an idle threat from Pastor Kyle. All right, I want you to do a favor for me. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles that I'm sure were just open, I want you to hold it up in your hand for a second. We're not going to do a uh, sword drill here. You having it up? Now, if your hands are empty right now, uh, you need to get a Bible. And there should be one uh, in front of you in the back of a pew. If you're sitting all the way in the back, you need a Bible. Just come up and get one. But do you have a Bible in your hand? Because I want you to hold this up a little longer. We view this exactly the way the Word of God says it is, living and active. And if you're watching this, if you're connecting in to this uh, service online, I hope you have your Bible up. If you're here right now, I hope you have your Bible up. This is the only book in creation that is living and active. It's going to do something. Do you believe that? It will do something as you hear it, as you by faith approach it to, into this message even right now. It will have an effect on your heart. If you refuse to submit to it, if you refuse to believe it, it will actually cause potentially your heart to harden even more. If you believe it, if you will submit to it by faith, it will transform you bit by bit. It will until you become more and more like Jesus. So let's put your Bible down, but let's keep it open to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, from which you just heard a passage read, and we are looking at seven feasts. These are festivals. These are what the Bible calls holy days, or the Jewish people called high holy days. We actually get our word holiday. They are holy days that God gave to Israel, and they're all outlined in Leviticus chapter 23. And three of them takes, 
take place in the spring, one of them early summer, and then three of them in the fall. But all of them, as the passage that you're seeing on the screen shows you, all of them drew the eyes to Jesus. It pointed forward to Jesus, and the first four of them, the first four of the festivals have been fulfilled when Jesus came. But the, the final three of them will not be fulfilled until Jesus comes again. We are waiting for that. If you ever hear the word Maranatha, if you ever say the word Maranatha, what you're saying in when it's translated is, come Jesus, come. So we are waiting for Jesus to come. We are praying for Jesus to come. And what we saw last week was the first of the festivals called the Passover, which took place on Nisan 14 on the Jewish calendar. And the seven-day festival of unleavened bread began the very following day. So I hope you're getting this. On Nisan 14 was Passover, and then the unleavened bread festival started on the 15th, one day later. The two of them were so close on the calendar that they actually emerged, or they merged to become one festival, as Luke 22 says on the screen. It's one eight-day festival, starts with the Passover, and then seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And while it is clear that the Passover pointed to the death of Jesus for our sins, well, today we're going to answer the question, what is the meaning of the festival of unleavened bread? What is the meaning of the festival of unleavened bread? Exodus 12 is going to help us discover that, but I'm going to take you a lot deeper than just Exodus 12. What we're going to find is this. Here's what we're going to discover. The festival of unleavened bread points to the sinlessness, the suffering, and the burial of Jesus. Now, you don't need to memorize that. Make it really easy on you because I'm going to unpack each of those and then we're going to look at a final point together after that. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's really get going. Here we go. Number one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread points to the sinlessness of Jesus. Now, I want you to think of that word sinlessness without sin. Now, everybody look at me for a moment. Everybody in here, look at me for a moment. And if you're Connecting online, look at me for a moment. Sinless is not something that anybody could ever describe you or describe me as being. You cannot even think of yourself that way. If you do, listen, listen carefully and please understand my heart behind this. If you ever were to view yourself as sinless, I would tell you, you are insane. You're insane because you're not. And the guy you're looking at right now is not either. There's only one person that has ever been sinless. His name is Jesus. And this passage that we're going to look at, just mere moments, God is focusing on the future of this festival when Israel is brought into their promised land. When they are in their promised land, God begins in Exodus 12 saying in verse 14, here's how I want you to celebrate. Look with me, verse 14. You have your Bibles in front of you. Exodus 12, 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. That means a day you look backward, a day of thankfulness. 
And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, a feast that involves food. Throughout your generations, always into the future, as a statute command forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, Deuteronomy 16 says that for three of the seven feasts, every able-bodied man of Israel was required to attend. Now, Judaism, that's the religion of the Jews, they, they spell that out a little bit more detail. If you're within a day's journey, you are commanded by God legally to come to these festivals, three of them. You'll see three of them there in verse 16. Those are the three that every Jewish man had to attend. Don't you remember when Jesus, when he was 12 years old, he went with his family. It was the custom, meaning every year they would go up to Jerusalem from Nazareth. They would go to, the, to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, eight days. They went every year. The Bible specified three things that his people were to do during this festival. Here's the three things. You cannot work on the first and last day. You cannot do any work. There had to be special sacrifices that the priests would offer at the temple each of the seven days. And everybody, listen, this is so important, everybody in all of Israel was to completely rid their homes and themselves of any leaven at all. In fact, so important is that last one, getting rid of leaven which is why it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So important is it that God mentions it repeatedly in Exodus 12, and he attaches a warning if you disobey. If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Look at verse 15, the very next verse. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, anyone, from the first day until the seventh day, the entire feast, that person shall be cut off from Israel. He repeats it, verses 18 through 20. God is serious about getting all of your leaven out of your homes. Why? Why is he so serious about not eating leaven, not even having it in your house during this festival? Well, let me start to answer that, and the entire message is going to unfold that answer. Number one, leaven, or yeast, we call it yeast, it produces a decaying effect. Did you know that? You're probably never going to eat bread again the same way. It produces a decaying effect. It multiplies rapidly. It ferments the dough. That's what leaven does. And it causes it to rise, in the Bible, leaven is consistently a symbol. It's a symbol of the decaying effect of sin, which multiplies through communities and makes you rise, makes me rise in pride and arrogance and self-exaltation. 
And we all have got this. We all have the leaven of our sin nature. That's why I started this message by getting you to confront the fact that you, just like I am, we are all sinners. We all have a nature to sin. We all have leaven in our lives. And it rejects our need for God. We live the way we want. Now, I want you to think about that because I'm sure there's a lot of people here right now that have lived life the way you want. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you really like where it landed you? Do you like the life you're living? Well, you really can't truly blame somebody else because then you play the victim card. And you'll never climb out of this. But the moment that you can begin looking at the leaven in your own life that has caused you to rise up, puff up in self-exaltation, pride, I don't need God, I want to do things the way I want to do them, then in that moment you can begin to have a life of change. We all have leaven. There's only one person who has never had a trace of leaven, never sinned, that is Jesus, and he is the one to whom all of these festivals point. In fact, look at what 1 John 3 says. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, away leaven, and in him there was no leaven. There is no leaven, there is no sin. See, Jesus never committed an outward sin of behavior because he never had a sin beneath the sin. He never had a motivation that, he, that moved him to do something that broke God's commands. In fact, he lived to bring glory to God. He lived to do God's will, his Father's will, in every single moment of his life. He lived to fully love God and his neighbor as himself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your life if you truly loved God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you loved your neighbor as yourself? Can you imagine what kind of a life you would live, and can you imagine what it would be like to live that life in the midst of everybody loving? Loving God and loving each other. Channel 69 News, there's a storm coming. Yes, we know. Can you please turn your phone off? You know, I almost said at the beginning of this, can everybody take out your phone and put it on mute? I did. I sat over there going, I better probably do that tonight. And I forgot. All right, so why don't we do that right now? Take your phone and put it on mute, turn it off, whatever you need to do, Okay. Jesus was and is sinless. But let me tell you the second thing. It points, this festival does, to the suffering of Jesus. Now look at the screen. Look at that matzah pitcher. The Hebrew name for unleavened bread, did you know this? It's called matzah. That's just not something new that Jewish bakeries bake. That's been around for millennium. And they make it with stripes and they make it with holes. Do you know why they make it with stripes and holes? I'll tell you why. It keeps the bread flat when baked. Otherwise, if they didn't, you're going to have pita bread. There is no leaven in it, but you put the holes in it so that it doesn't trap the moisture and make it rise. Well, in the Jewish Seder, Seder means order, in the Jewish order of Seder, there's a, there's a special part of the service called the afikomen. It's 
It's called the afikomen. Afikomen is a word that literally means that which comes after. The leader of the Seder dinner has a partitioned bag. It's a linen bag. And it contains three flat pieces of matzah bread. And they take the middle one out. Watch this. They take the middle one out of that partition bag and they snap it in half and they put half of it back in. And then they take the other half of it and they wrap it in a linen cloth. And the leader of the Seder hides it somewhere in the home. And at the end of the Seder dinner, all the children, they get up together and they go search through the entire home for the missing afikomen. And the one who finds it, usually in today's currency, gets a $5 bill. It's exciting. That's how they close down the Seder. Well, that hidden piece, that hidden piece that the leader hides in that linen cloth, that's called the afikomen. It means that which comes after. You got three matzahs. You got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The middle one is the Son that's broken, just as he was broken through suffering and death. And one day, he's going to come back again. That which comes after. Don't you remember when Jesus said in John 6, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, we're going to be approaching the Lord's Supper soon. You better keep that in mind because now you know how you're going to approach it. The child that finds the afikomen, the one that's hidden around the house, I told you is given a gift. And even that points symbolically to those who find and seek Jesus by faith are given the gift of salvation. You see, everything in the festival of unleavened bread, everything points to the gospel, including this. The third truth is that the afikomen, that broken piece of matzah that is hidden, points to the burial of Jesus this feast, the feast of unleavened bread, follows the Passover, and it shouts that Jesus, the Lamb of God, who died on the cross as Passover, was the sinless Son of God, that's unleavened bread, buried in the grave. The broken afikomen was hidden in a linen cloth, hidden away, a symbol for Christ's burial, who also was buried and wrapped in linen, Isaiah spoke of the burial of Jesus and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now, I want you to listen to something. If you died in Israel as a criminal, your body was cast into the Hinnom Valley called Gehenna, where you would be burned along with the city's trash. They didn't bury you. If you died as a criminal, crucified, they simply took your body and threw it into the valley. But the body of Jesus was honored. This is what Matthew 27 tells us. He was honored and he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Joseph 
of Arimathea took him down. Nicodemus, they, they buried him in a rich man's tomb. A thousand years earlier, David prophesied that God would never let Jesus, his holy one, see corruption. Now, I want you to get the tie-in. See, when you add leaven to dough, or you add yeast to dough, it decomposes sugars. That's what happens. And it releases carbon dioxide, ethanol, alcohol. It's all a form, actually, of decay. But the same thing, when a person dies, did you know that decompensation begins within minutes of your death? But this did not happen with Jesus. And like the Afikoman, he was wrapped in linen, he was buried, and because he is the unleavened, sinless son of God, he was not under the curse of death. He conquered that terrible enemy. He never even decayed. Now, I've told you, now I'm going to recap for just a second. I told you that the Feast of Unleavened Bread points to the sinlessness, suffering, and the burial of Jesus. But that's not all. In fact, what I'm about to tell you now brings you and I very much into the picture. For the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us of our sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big word. Not all of us know what it means. I'm gonna super simplify it, actually oversimplify it. If you took a shower in the last week and you used soap, now you're understanding a little bit of what sanctification means. It, may, it means to be made clean over and over, bit by bit, more and more increasingly. It means to be made clean. It actually means to be made increasingly like Jesus. The Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us of our sanctification, Christian. You see, for Hebrew women, before forming dough into loaves for breaking, they would break off a chunk and set it aside in a very cool, moist place. And when it was time to bake another loaf of bread, they would take that little lump that they had taken off and they put it in reserve. They would mix it in with a new batch of flour and water to leaven the next batch to make dough, to make bread. You always took a little bit off of the, the previous chunk to add into the next one. See, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In Exodus 12, we're back to that passage, this severe command, do not eat anything with leaven. You know what God is saying? Now, I want you to listen to me for a minute because this is actually one of the most important things I'm going to tell you. Do you know why God kept saying, kept warning Israel, do not eat leaven during the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Here's what he's saying. I want you to hear this. He is saying to Israel, I don't want you taking a piece of Egypt the influence of the Egyptians, the pervasive sinfulness of the Egyptians, and bringing it into your new life that I'm about to give you. Don't bring it in. Don't take a chunk off of the old dough and add it into the new one. I want to bring you into the promised land as my people. I want to bring you in as my holy people, not my people under the influence of the leaven of Egypt. And it's the same thing, Christian, today. Now, here's what happens. Now, I'm not assuming that all of us have done this or experienced it, but let me just tell you what happens. The moment that you realize that you're a sinner, 
and that the judgment and wrath of God is coming your way. And one day he's going to make you give an account for it. And the only other place you're going to go is to an eternity in hell. The moment you understand that, that you are a sinner and God is not unfair, God is not unjust to put you into hell, and you fall down in pleading to God with faith, save me, forgive me my sins. I know Jesus died for me. Take the death of Jesus and forgive me, God. The moment you do that, here's what happens to you, and it happens in an instant. Your old creation it's thrown away. God is the one who throws it away. He destroys it. Your old nature that wanted your way more than God's way, that looked, as, looked at God as being a threat to you, that looked at his throne with envy and said, I want that throne. That's your old nature. That's my old nature. That's done. That is put to death. He's given you a new nature, and that new nature, even though it's not perfect, has an impulse, has a motivation that says, I don't want that throne. God, I want you on the throne. I want to love you. I want to serve you, and I'm going to love people around me. That's what the new nature does. And you become a new creation. And God says this to you, Christian, just like he says it to me. Do not bring any of your old nature and mix it in with a new nature. I don't want that leaven in there. So put it to death over and over and over and dress yourself in the new clothes I've given to you. See, God was starting in Exodus 12, a brand new people in a brand new land, and they were to be a holy batch of people. God's people, including you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, continually fail at this. We need to remember this again and again. And as you study the Old Testament, and particularly this festival, you will find it consistently linking with the reform and the revival of Israel. Now, did you hear what I just said? I'm going to say that even more simply. I want you to hear this. Over and over in the Bible, this is going to be new to some of you. Whenever you see God's people celebrating the festival in leavened bread, you know what happens? It brings a reform and a revival back to the people. Over and over. That's Ezra. That is Josiah. That is Hezekiah. All of them celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread and it brought a revival back to the people. Why? Because this festival is for our sanctification, that we would say no increasingly to the old flesh, that we would say yes increasingly to what God wants. We would become increasingly more like Jesus. But let me give you a little bit more reason why this festival is for sanctification. Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple and he drove out the moneylenders and the animal stalls? Do you remember that? Do you know he did that twice? Are you aware that he did that twice? He did that once in the very beginning of his public ministry and the second time just days before he was crucified. He cleaned out the temple twice. And both times that he did was just days before this festival began. 
The second time was days before he was crucified. It was days, just days before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called, by the way, a Feast of Sanctification. It's when you purge the evil from your heart. Now, everybody look at me for a second because this is as important for you as it is for me. I'm going to only be a few more minutes on this message. But from here on to the end, we're about to approach the Lord's Supper. And right now, I want to start getting you to think. What leaven is in your heart right now? What leaven is in your life right now that you need to purge? I'll teach you at the end how you purge it. But I want you to begin thinking as I bring us to an end with this message. What leaven needs to be purged from your home? Well, let me take you to Israel for a moment. In the time of Jesus, every particle of leaven, the symbol of sin, was to be purged from their homes for this festival. On Thursday morning, the day before the festival began, Thursday morning that week of Jesus' death, the priests would come out of the temple. There was a bench in the courtyard, and they would have two leavened loaves of bread. That's bread that has risen. But at 11 o'clock in the morning, there would be a trumpet blast, and they would remove those two loaves, and that was a signal around all of Jerusalem. You must have all of the leaven removed from your homes by that point in the day. Just a couple of days before, Jewish mothers had gone through all of their homes and they sprinkled breadcrumbs, leaven crumbs, in hard-to-reach places. And then after dark, the evening before the Passover, fathers would take a candle, they would take a spoon, and they would take a feather, and with all of their children, they would excitedly search their entire home for these breadcrumbs of leaven. And whenever he found them, the children would hold the candle while the father took the feather and scooped the breadcrumbs into the spoon. They would put it into a bag or a cloth. They would tie it with a thread and then the next morning they would all burn it out in front of their homes together. The city of Jerusalem made preparations for this festival. They would send out crews one month before the festival began, and they would take white paint, and they would paint all of the tombstones all along the road that came into the city, the reason being that Judaism taught that if you touched anything associated with the dead, you became unclean spiritually. And you were unable to enter the presence of God until you were purified. So Israel made every effort to sanctify their city. But continually they were under the power of sin. You see, no one in their own strength and effort can be holy. No one can overpower, overcome the power of sin in their own effort. Help is needed. And that's the great truth of this festival as the work of Jesus was illustrated. You've got the Passover that points to the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And then you've got the festival of unleavened bread that points to his sinless power to take away your sin and my sin. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, I'm going to close 
by taking you back to Exodus 12. And this is unbelievably incredible. God's word is so important. There's a really important instruction that God gives to Israel for this festival. And I hope you have your Bibles open. If you can look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 16, I want you to read with me. On the first day, God said, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. Now, I want you to understand the symbol of this. Christian, the first day, the day of your salvation, you cannot work for it. No effort of yours can save you. And the last day, the day of your death, and the beginning of eternal life, you cannot work, you cannot earn it, no effort of yours can merit it. Only the work of Jesus Christ performed in his death, burial, and resurrection can save you, and only he can give you eternal life. But I'm going to tell you something. There's five days in between. And what are we doing in those five days? Well, the Bible is clear. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. In other words, you have been made holy by the blood of Christ. Now live out holy lives. For Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so it makes me want to ask you, and it makes me ask myself, what are you doing these five days in between? Oh, you cannot save yourself. And oh, you cannot give yourself eternal life. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the author and the finisher of our faith. But there are five days in between. Are you continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? For it is God who works in you to will and to want according to his good pleasure. What do you have in your life that needs to be purged? Don't sit there thinking you have nothing. And I am not standing here thinking I have nothing. Are you willing to purge it? I told you I would tell you how to do that. It's very simple. It's confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Not to try to earn your salvation, only Jesus can, that's the first day. Not to try to give you eternal life, only Jesus can give that to you, that's the seventh day. Now that's the day two through six. Five days where we are pursuing our sanctification by the grace of Jesus Christ. What do you need to purge? As the people who are going to help serve the communion, if they can make their way down, and Pastor Kyle's going to come out. He's going to hand these to you in just a moment. Kyle, if you want to go ahead and start doing that, let me walk us through, if I could. If you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I would welcome you to do that. And I'm going to actually start you at verse 27 where Paul warns us. And I want you to hear this warning. In fact, listen, I want you to hear this clearly. No one should take this in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? 
If you have not yet put your faith exclusively in Jesus Christ for your salvation and your eternal life, do not take this. Let that tray pass you by, but let it motivate you to want to know Jesus. Let me tell you why you don't want to take this. Therefore, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. You blaspheme it. So let a person examine himself. Have I really believed? Have I really put my faith in Jesus Christ alone? Let a person examine himself, Paul says. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. This is not an empty warning. Therefore, examine yourself well. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and your eternal life? If you have not, do not eat and drink. But if you have, I want you to hold those cups. The top one has the juice. The one underneath that has a little cracker in it. And they're symbolic. We do not believe in transubstantiation, meaning that that juice and that cracker turns into the literal blood and body of Jesus, nor do we practice consubstantiation where they, the Spirit of God lives in, the Holy Spirit climbs into the juice and into the bread. We don't believe that at all. What we believe is that these are memorials, just like the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They're memorials. They are shouting and testifying to a truth greater than themselves. And that truth is they represent the body and the blood of Jesus, broken and shed for us. This is why you do not eat in an unworthy manner. Now we have children here and parents, I really want to encourage you. You can talk to your children right now. You can help them understand what it is. If, that, if you are not ready, if they are not ready to take this, explain why. If they are, explain what they're about to do. Take what I'm saying, but put it down into their hearts in bite-sized nuggets that they can understand. Paul writes this, for I received from the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus actually appeared to the apostle Paul resurrected Jesus and taught him personally. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Now, if you separate those cups, and I want you to hold up the one with the, 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 uh, the bread. This is unleavened bread. There's no leaven in it. It represents the body of Jesus, broken, for us and what you are to do right now I can't do this for you I can guide you I can facilitate this like the leader of a Seder dinner all I could do is say this that Jesus took the middle the middle piece of matzah the afikomen and he broke it and he said this is me this is me 
This is pointing to what's going to happen to me. My body's going to be broken for you. Because it's the only way you could be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Friends, don't believe in your works. Don't believe in your merit. Don't believe in your effort. They're not going to save you. Now believe in what Jesus did on your behalf. He died for you that you could live. Let's eat to that. Paul goes on in the same way he also took the cup. This is the third cup. They had four cups of wine at the Passover dinner. This is the third cup. And there were small cups in case you're getting really excited going, oh, I could go home and drink a lot of wine. They were very small and often watered down. But this is the third cup of wine. And Jesus poured it out for all the disciples. If you come to the Monday, Thursday, worship service this coming Thursday up at Mars Street. I'm going to explain this a lot more. But he took that third cup and he held it up to them and he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new promise. It's a covenant that's been ratified in my blood. Here's what he said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now I want you to understand something. As you drink this, this juice, which is a symbol of his blood that he shed to death for you and for me. Don't drink this and comment, wow, that was good tasting grape juice. This is the blood of Jesus. It poured out until he died because it's the only way you can be saved. If you believe that, then hold up your cup as a toast for we're about to honor the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread. Let's drink together. Now, Paul's not quite done, and I want you to hear this. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, listen to this, you preach, that's what the word means, you preach, you proclaim, the Lord's death until he comes. You know what that phrase, until he comes, means? It means Maranatha, like I told you earlier. You are proclaiming the Maranatha. This ought to have increased your desire for Jesus to come back. It ought to have increased your confidence that Jesus is going to come back. And when he does return, it will be the seventh day of that feast where you are given eternal life. And he leads you to your eternal home and there will be no suffering and there will be no tears ever again. But now we work. Now we press towards sanctification. Now we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's leave here serious about sin. Let's leave here purging sin by the grace of God from our hearts. Let's treat it the way that it ought to be treated. God hates sin. We ought to hate it too. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as a worship team comes up, 
And Lord, that we finish out with one more song. Uh, Father, I pray that we would sing, Lord, to you, that we would sing in celebration of what you have done for us. And Lord, that we would remember the festival of unleavened bread. And God, that we would remember that there are seven days, eight days in total, but seven days of that festival. And Lord, they are to work none on the first and seventh day. Lord, you have saved us. You will give us eternal life. But Lord, there are five days in the middle and we are to purge evil out. We are to sweep it out of our homes, the home of our hearts. God, would you illuminate, let the candle of your word show us where the sin is and let us all be diligent and let us all hate that leaven of sin in our hearts and by your power, let us sweep it out with a feather of the Holy Spirit into that bag and burn it, Father, I pray in confession and repentance. Lord, let us treat this seriously. Let us leave here celebrating that Jesus Christ, the sinless one who suffered and was buried for us, Lord, he is the one to whom this festival points. We bring you all the honor, all the glory, all of the fame, and it's in your name we pray, amen.